So, um, before we jump into the sermon, uh, let's begin by uh, reciting our memory verse for this month. Um, If you have not memorized the verse, that is okay, Uh, but let's stand anyway. Eli, if you would uh, bring up the lights. Um, Our memory verse for this month that we have memorized together as a church is John 1.14a. So, uh, let's begin by reciting that. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Um, So, in the back on that table, um, in the yellow box, you'll find the verse for next month. Um, And so, beginning next Sunday, we'll start on our next verse. So, before you leave today, make sure that you grab um, some, uh, grab a card that's got the devotional on there, um, grab some of the temporary tattoos, the keychain, um, whatever uh, is back there. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So, um, every uh, sermon this month has begun um, by reflecting on that verse that we memorized, that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Um, And so, even though yesterday was Christmas, and technically that means Christmas season is now over, um, I will finish off the month with uh, one last Christmas sermon. Okay, so I'll go against my, my normal practice in doing that. Um, I will go ahead and say that uh, here at the beginning, I'm greatly indebted to uh, the wisdom of a good friend of mine named Trevor Atwood, who's a pastor in Tennessee, and some of his influence will be uh, over this sermon. Um, if you've ever listened to Trevor's sermons, you'll probably hear that a lot of it, his influence comes out in my sermons all the time. Um, and so if you ever need another podcast to listen to, his is a good one. Um, so, you know, if you've been in our church for a while, if, if you know me, you'll know that every Christmas, one of the things that I like to do is recast for us a vision of a more accurate nativity scene. Because the nativity scenes that we have that are, that are in our popular culture are woefully inaccurate. And the Christmas story that we see every year is filled to the brim with misconceptions, with myths, and with misunderstandings. That means that not only do we have the details wrong, it also means that we're missing out on so much truth. There's so much depth that that we miss out on when we get the details wrong. And so I encourage you to go back to December's past uh, to listen to some of those messages And if you do, you'll hear why Jesus wasn't born in a stable, but rather in the downstairs room of a relative's house, and why that is important. You'll hear how the wise men were definitely not there on the night that Jesus was born, and there's probably way more than three of them, and however many there were, they almost certainly traveled with an enormous entourage and a giant caravan of people. Um, You'll hear about their role in the Babylonian Empire and why their trip to Jesus was so significant. And so today we're going to look at some of the other characters in the nativity scene. And it's not so much that their presence in the nativity scene is inaccurate. It's more that we are missing so much of the context of what their presence actually means. Uh, Throughout ancient history... Highly skilled messengers were always considered to be one of the most essential parts of a successful military operation. Before communication technology like we have today, 
they were used by the armies of every nation. When word of anything needed to reach anywhere else, that meant that someone had to physically bring that message. And so messengers became one of the most essential parts of the military. There were some particular militaries whose messengers gained a reputation for themselves because of their elite abilities. One such military was the ancient Greeks. Now, the ancient Greeks, of course, were acclaimed for many reasons um, in their military and in their effect on culture. But specifically, the ancient Greek army had a number of things that made it unique. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 300. Um, I'm not recommending it, by the way, if you uh, have not. I don't want you to say, well, the pastor said watch 300. I didn't say that, okay? But if you have, you would see some of the features of the Spartan army. Um, It was one of my favorite movies in college, and I probably watched it over and over and over and over because it's so cool, you know? It it, it features these incredible um, heroes of... Uh, of history. Of course, it's been, you know, dramatized and, and so much added to the story, but the Battle of Thermopylae was, was a historical event. One of my favorite stories from military history. Um, and it, it showcased just how extreme the Spartans and the Greeks were in training up their military. In that culture, they had this thing called the agoge. And the agoge was the military training that every male would go through. They would enter the agoge at age 7, and they would graduate at age 30. And so for 23 years of training, these men had trained into them every facet of military culture, every part of being a warrior, being a brother in arms, honing every possible skill. And one of the skills that rose to the top was the skill of running. Um, This is part of the reason why the Olympics that we have today find their root there, because competing in the agoge was uh, a central part of culture. And so runners became well-known around the world from ancient Greek. Um, There was even a god, the, the god Hermes, that featured um, wings on his feet, and he was the messenger god. And so one such famous messenger from the ancient Greeks was a man named Philippides. He was an Athenian messenger in 490 BC. Um, At this point, the Persian army had just landed uh, 25 miles from Athens in the plain of Marathon. And Philippides was sent to Sparta to enlist their help And he covered the distance there and back of 125 miles in just two days. Imagine running 125 miles in two days. According to legend, uh, when the Athenians won the battle, he ran the 26 miles back to Athens from Marathon to deliver the message that the battle was won. And that is why today, if you run a marathon, it's 26.2 miles because of Philippides. Alexander the Great was also known for having a a fleet of elite messengers ready at a moment's notice. Uh, There were times when kings would take their messengers and shave their messengers' head, and they would brand a secret message on the back of their skull, the back of their head, and then wait for the hair to grow back, and then send him running off uh, to give a secret message. So, in every culture in the ancient world, 
messengers were highly valued, highly trusted, and highly regarded. When the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, it was the most important news, the most important message in the entirety of world history. The incarnation was the best news that humanity could ever receive. So, you would think that the most important and greatest news in world history would be delivered to humanity by the most elite messengers available. Is that not what any of us would do? We would enlist Philippides. We would get him and we'd be like, Phil, literally run and tell that for me, okay? I need Philippides on my side. We, we would find the most gifted, influential people to carry the message of the Incarnation. But to our surprise, that is not what happens. Instead, God brings this history-changing news to a group of shepherds out in a field at night. And then he sends them to tell everyone else in town. They are both the first recipients and the first ambassadors of the greatest news ever told. So when we see shepherds in a nativity scene, it may be easy to skip over this detail because their presence just seems to fit with the rest of the animals, right? There's animals and then there's also shepherds and we don't even think about why they are there. But God choosing these men to be his messengers actually means a great deal for us today. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 is where we will be looking. And um, I dare you to not think about Linus while we read this text. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, There is one verse in here that I have to point out that I always laugh at because I'm immature. Okay, I do not have the necessary maturity to be standing here, but I'm up here anyway. So... Um, I've always laughed at verse 16 where it says, 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. All three of them were lying in a manger? That must have been a big manger. All right, I'm going to move on now, now that I've pointed that out. So, uh, the shepherds receive the message from the angels. There the shepherds are in the field, minding their own business. It's at night. They're likely taking turns, sleeping and watching the sheep. And then suddenly, in the sky, very bright light, and an angel from God with a booming voice begins to speak. And the text tells us, understandably, that the shepherds were afraid. Every time an angel shows up, The angel has to tell people, don't be afraid, I'm not here to destroy you. Because they have this big, powerful, intimidating presence. And the angel gives an incredible message to these shepherds. And then that angel reveals the rest of the the gleaming host of the Lord. And they begin to declare in this powerful chorus, glory to God in the highest. I can only imagine the power of that moment, that this field, once dark, is now filled with light. Just like it tells us in John chapter 1, that when the Word became flesh, light shone in the darkness. And so, these shepherds receive the message, and then they go immediately, it says, with haste, into Bethlehem to find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Uh, all snuggling together um, in, uh, in Joseph's relative's house. And they worship there. And then it says that they make known the saying that had been told to them. When they saw it, they made known the saying that, been, that had been told to them concerning the child. So they begin to spread the news. They begin to tell everyone. Now, when they went into Bethlehem, some, some of you may have read this before and thought, okay, how did they find this baby? Well, we're not talking about a very big town, okay? This is a small village, and the number of babies born that night in the village was probably pretty small. So, as they begin to knock on doors and say, hey, is there a baby in here? Uh, these conversations begin to happen. A baby? Why are you looking for a baby? Well, the angels told us. And so this is the talk of the town. But it's the, the messengers that were chosen for this mission that confuse us. So let's, let's talk uh, a little bit about shepherds. Okay? So the shepherds were not uh, living among the people all the time. Okay? The shepherds stayed out in the fields with their sheep all the time. They were hardly ever around the other people. Um, in verse 8, where it says, uh, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. The Greek word there is abiding. They were abiding in the field. They live there, okay? The field is home, okay? So these are guys that are outside all the time, sleeping under the stars. Um, They weren't exactly people people. They were sheep people. And so, they kind of had a negative reputation, in culture, there, there's uh, some sources that tell us that uh, people tended to look down on shepherds. They, they had a reputation for being dishonest. They had a reputation for being thieving. Part of this is because they were just always uns- unsupervised. They were off by themselves. They were viewed as unclean and as dirty people. Mostly because they lived with animals. 
all the time. They slept near the animals. They always were caring for the animals. They never showered. These were kind of ruffians, right? Now, religiously, that also had an effect in Jewish culture because this meant that they could never go to the temple. They were ceremonially unclean because of their constant contact with animals. They were ceremonially unclean, which meant they had little or no access to worshiping God in the temple. They were outcast. One commentary from Jewish uh, writers, Midrash, on Psalm 23, verse 2, reads, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. The word of a shepherd was not even admissible in court. So you couldn't even have a shepherd testify as a witness in a court of law. Not exactly prime candidates for being God's messengers, right? Wouldn't you think that these would be the guys last on the list to be chosen as messengers? Guys who couldn't even testify in court. Guys who were viewed in the town as being at the bottom of the totem pole. And it's not like God couldn't have sent someone else. It's not like God couldn't have sent another messenger. For example, how about the angels, okay? How about the angels that showed up in the sky and gave that message to the shepherds? That would be one candidate. But if we look at the nativity scene, there's, there's some other potential candidates that could be very, very good messengers. The wise men. Um, so again, last year and the year before, I, I preached a number of messages um, on the nativity scene, and there was one in particular about the wise men. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's one of my favorite messages that I've ever preached. And the information there from history is absolutely fascinating. Um, but to give just a really, really brief summary here um, on the wise men. The word wise men is the word magi. And we traditionally have referred to them as the three kings. But they were not kings themselves. That, that was not their role. We know that the Magi had a particular role in the Babylonian Empire. And so if we go to places like the book of Daniel, we read about the Magi and their activity. They, among other things, served as advisors in the king's court. Daniel himself was the chief of the Magi, right? Uh, He interpreted the dreams of the king. He saved the lives of the Magi that the king threatened um, if if they couldn't perform. And so Daniel saved their lives. He's made the ruler of the Magi. And Daniel, he then foretells the coming of the Messiah. Daniel, as the leader of the Magi, begins to tell all of these messianic prophecies. And so these messianic prophecies are passed down through the generations of Magi. Many of the Magi who were following after Daniel became God-fearing men who then also looked forward to the coming of the Savior. So these weren't just random people off in the Orient. These were people who were raised in the traditions of the Old Testament. These men were highly trained. They were highly educated They were highly esteemed, they were very rich, they were powerful, they were influential. We know from their role that one of the things that they were in charge of is being the checks and balances of the leadership in the Babylonian Empire. And it was part of their job to make sure that the king was fulfilling his role. And so the king could be deposed by the magi. 
But when the king was deposed, or if the king died and a new king had to come along, it was the role of the magi to examine the genealogies of any particular candidates and to decide among themselves who would be the next king. They were the kingmakers. And so that kind of blows the story wide open when the magi come and visit Jesus. The kingmakers show up. And like I said before, these were not guys who were traveling on camels, just three random dudes in big hats going through the desert on a camel. Okay, these were, again, powerful, influential men in culture. They traveled on the finest horses in a chariot with a caravan of an entourage. Okay, when they traveled, it it is said that at times, even if one of them was traveling, they would come with 10,000 soldiers. So... I'm not necessarily saying there were 10,000 soldiers with them at the time. But what I am saying is absolutely, when they roll up to Jerusalem, to King Herod, it's not just three dudes on a camel saying, uh, where's the king? It is a giant entourage of people leading these three or more men into town searching for the next king. That's why Herod started to freak out. And when Herod says, "Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, and Herod's advisors are like, "Uh, check Bethlehem, then this giant caravan of people travels into Bethlehem. Perhaps the caravan was bigger than the population of Bethlehem itself. And they roll up to Jesus' house. That changes the nativity scene for real. And so this huge elaborate caravan pulls into town. They pull up to Jesus' house. By the way, it wasn't the night that he was born. It was like two years later. Jesus is, is two, two, or, two or three years old when, when they show up. And the whole town, you can imagine, is gawking. The entire town is watching as the caravan stops in front of Jesus' house. And these rich, well-dressed men climb down from their chariots And seeing this child, they bow. That's incredible. That's so much better than the nativity scene, okay? That's why when I see a dinky little nativity scene, I at the very least roll my eyes. Because we're missing so much here. But the point of all this is why couldn't God have sent men like that to be his messengers? These rich, powerful, influential kingmakers who everyone was looking at as the decision makers. These powerful men roll into town. Why couldn't they have been brought on the night of his birth to take his message to the whole world? Because, as you'll hear if you listen to that message, they show up, they worship, and then they leave. And there's a very important reason for why they leave. But they leave. Why couldn't they have been the ones to be the messengers? And again, like, like I said already, as long as we're asking the question, why couldn't God just cut out the middleman altogether and just send the same angels that he sent to the shepherds? Why even involve the shepherds at all? Why involve any other people at all? And so, there are a few reasons that we'll look at. And as we go through these, I'm hoping that it will fill you with hope and the realization of God's love for you. So, here's point number one. 
God wants us to be in awe of the message rather than the messenger. Isn't it true that we often want God to give us a big, showy, obvious display of his will? And it hardly ever happens. <laughs> but that's how we often pray, right? When we're praying about something, raise your hand if you have ever used the phrase, show me a sign. If you've ever prayed and you said, God, show me a sign. We've all said it, okay? And th- there's nothing wrong with saying it, okay? I'm not, I'm not vilifying that. But we say, God, show me a sign. And what we ask for are angels or kings, and instead, what God so often gives us is shepherds. Messengers that we would not choose. My friend Trevor put it this way. The shepherds got the angels, but everybody else got the shepherds. The shepherds get this powerful display from God. They get this obvious sign. They get angels literally opening the sky up and and beaming down in blinding light. They get this direct revelation from the supernatural. Everyone else in in the following verses, they get the shepherds. Everyone else hears the message of God from the shepherds. Not from angels, not from rich or powerful kingmakers, but from shepherds. In verse 10 it says, The angel said, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm bringing you this news. Shepherds, I bring you this news. And then we read, In verse 17, again, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The shepherds roll into town, and they have this incredible news. We saw angels in the sky. The angels told us that the Savior has been born in the city of David in Bethlehem. The Messiah is here. Okay, They're knocking on doors in the middle of the night going, we're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. And everyone in the town is probably like, what is going on? This is the weirdest night we've ever had. And to every neighbor's house, we're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. And they begin to tell everyone what the angels had told them. The angels tell them, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Now consider that at this point, it has been 400 years since the Old Testament ended. Okay? So the last time the people had received direct revelation from God was 400 years ago. They have been waiting for generations for the Messiah to come. When the Old Testament ended, it was on a cliffhanger. The Messiah will be coming. Wait and be patient. Now, 400 years later, at which point you can imagine that hope has begun to wane... People have begun to question, is it ever going to happen? Is the prophecy ever going to come true? They're they're trying to hold on to hope. And they are expecting that when it comes, it is going to come with a powerful sign. 
It's going to come with the sky opening up. It's going to come with the the Messiah riding on a white horse to take out the oppressors. It's going to come with a political victory. It's going to come on the shoulders of war. And instead, instead of all that, it comes through some smelly shepherds in the middle of the night looking for a baby. It's the most unexpected thing that you could possibly imagine. Shepherds talking about a baby. And so while the shepherds themselves got this powerful sign, the shepherds get the angels. Everybody else gets the shepherds. God often communicates to us through unwanted shepherds. These include things like pain, painful experiences in which God teaches us something that we never could have learned otherwise, where he leads us through some traumatic event, where he leads us through some trial, some testing of our faith, bringing us to the ends of ourselves in order to teach us truth that we desperately need. Pain is a shepherd. God often speaks through other sinful people. Sometimes people that we want to hear from, and sometimes people that we don't want to hear from. But God communicates to us through the people who are around us. Sometimes He communicates to us through these people because these people are sharing with us from a good place. Other times He communicates truth to us through the sins of people against us redeeming what they have done to teach us something new. And when we're asking God to reveal his truth to us, one of the last things that we want is for it to come through somebody causing us some type of pain. Or how about simply this book, the Bible? We spend so much time and energy asking God, show me a sign, show me your will, show me what you want. God, what, how, 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 how do I need to follow you? What do I need to do in my life? And so often we forget we have the word. So many of our answers could be found if we just open it, right? Scripture tells us he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We lack nothing. And so, sometimes God is saying, you don't need a showy display You have my word. You you have the Bible. And we skip over the Bible because it's too simple, right? Surely there must be more than that. Well, well, that was written thousands of years ago. Well, we come up with any excuse that we can instead of just opening and reading and let let the Spirit lead us through the truth of the Scriptures. So often we want the angels, but instead we get the shepherds. And part of the reason for this, God chooses shepherds because he wants us to wrestle with the message and have faith in him rather than in what our eyes can see. Is is this going nuts behind me? Um, God is asking, do you trust me even if my message comes through a shepherd? Is the message on its own good enough, or do you need a qualified messenger? Do you trust me even if my message comes 
through a shepherd. God desires for us to be in awe of the message rather than the messenger. Okay, here's point number two. God chose shepherds because he was showing that he was truly Emmanuel, God with us. He was trying to show that he was truly Emmanuel, God with us. That title, Emmanuel, literally means God with us. The verse that we have memorized for this month, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is Emmanuel. That is God with us. And so one of the reasons why God chose the shepherds was to display very tangibly that God is with all of us. Remember, the shepherds could not go to the temple. The shepherds were ritually, ceremonially unclean. They did not have access to the presence of God in the temple. They could not worship the same way that everyone else did. They could not enter into the presence of God in that way. And so, God brought the temple to them. Geographically, Bethlehem is situated about five miles from the temple in Jerusalem. And so, on a clear day, from the right vantage point, the shepherds may have been able to see the temple off in the distance. And that, in and of itself, was a metaphor for their lives. They could see the temple from a distance, but they couldn't go themselves. The presence of God in that way was always a distance away from them. They could see where God was worshipped, but they themselves could never participate. They had been religiously outcast. But now, God was very clearly saying to them, there is no distance between us. I have come to you and to everyone else. Again, we read in verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I bring you. Okay, he's looking at these unimportant, inconsequential, outcast, normal, blue-collar, unclean dudes in the middle of a field and saying, I have come to bring you good news. I'm bringing it to you. Now you can imagine the shepherds looking around like, me? You're talking to me? There's nobody else out here. Are you at the wrong address? The temple's five miles away. Jerusalem is that way. That's where all the important people are. Did, did your GPS go wonky and, and you got lost and now you're out in a field talking to us? What Good news you've brought to me. Yes, you. God brings good news to you. And this news for you is for all people. Not some of the people. Not just those people. Not the right people, not the moral people, 
Not the rich people, not the privileged people, all the people. God chose the shepherds to be the recipients and the ambassadors of this message in order to communicate clearly to every person everywhere, I have good news for you. No one is cast out. I have good news for you and you. Yes, you. Yes, you. There he says in verse 11, For unto you is born a Savior. Not just the corporate you. Okay, not just all of your people. But individually to you. Unto you is born a Savior. The Savior that you need. He goes straight to the most unimportant people in that culture. And tells them first. A Savior is being given to you. The Word has been made flesh to make His dwelling among you. Bringing, to the, bringing the message to the shepherds was not unlike tearing the veil in two. In this powerful scene when Christ is crucified in, in the temple, this veil that separates the rest of the people from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, it rips in half. And what's happening in that moment is God is opening the gate. He is opening the door and letting his presence be among all the people. That's, that's what's communicated by, by the tearing of the veil. This was a similar tearing of a veil. By, by going to these shepherds, it was showing people there is no barrier between God and man. I will come even to the shepherds. Not only will I come to them only, I come to them first. I come to the shepherds first. God was showing that the gospel is not reserved for the privileged. It's not reserved for the rich or the religious elite or the good. The gospel is for everyone Every person, everywhere, the gospel is for you. If you have ever felt a, a, a question, a, a doubt, a fear in your heart, am I welcome into God's presence? Does God want me? Am I enough? Do I matter? A, am I important enough for God to care about my life? Or, or, or does he only care about those people, whoever those people are in your mind? Does God only care about the people who can offer him something? Do, does God only care about the people who minister uh, effectively and powerfully? Does God only care about the people who, who have a gift for bringing many others to him? Does God only care about the people that it seems like he's blessing like crazy because they have X, Y, Z? Does God only answer their prayers? Is the gospel only for them? I've been through pain. I've been through struggle. I've been through whatever it is that has, has made me an outcast. Is the gospel for me? These shepherds are a powerful sign showing, yes, the good news is for you. God has come to you. Not the influencers. 
but to you. The gospel is for everyone. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. As these shepherds are out in this field, five miles away from the temple, and in their hearts even further from the presence of God, he sends his angels right where they are, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the animals, there in a field, God shows up to be with them. And in the same way, what he is promising us is that wherever we are, whatever field we're off in the middle of, in the middle of whatever night, God shows up to be with us. That is Emmanuel. That leads us to our last point. God chose shepherds so that all might come, but none can boast. God chose the shepherds so that all might come, but none can boast. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This, to me, is one of the classic examples in all of human history of a backhanded compliment, (laughs) right? This is the Apostle Paul telling his audience, look guys, uh, let's be honest, okay? Not many of you were wise, according to the world standards, all right? Um, Not many of you were noble or esteemed, But God chose what is foolish, that would be you, uh, to shame the wise, not you. Um, God chose what is low and despised in the world, y'all. Even things that are not, y'all, to bring to nothing things that are, them. So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God gets all the glory. Right? This is as backhanded compliment as you can possibly get. You can imagine that the Corinthians are reading this church and they're like, thanks a lot, Paul. I'm not a total loser, okay? I, I have some pedigree, right? I-, I have a good job. I'm not the dumbest person in the room. But the point that he's making here, the point that he is making is that God does not only look for the elite. God does not specifically choose the qualified. God doesn't specifically look for what we can offer him. God's not looking for what we can offer him because he needs it. God chooses the lowly. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So that our pride can be found in who he is, not in who I am. 
by choosing lowly, normal, blue-collar messengers to carry a supernatural message, God was ensuring that no one could misidentify where worship should go. Ain't nobody going to be worshiping shepherds. It's not going to happen. God uses them to make sure that worship goes where it should. Now, this is not a new thing, okay? This type of practice is all over Scripture, all the time. This, This is not the first or the only time that we see God using unexpected people in this story. Who did God choose to be his messenger to Pharaoh? A murderer. Who did he choose to be the author of half the New Testament? A terrorist. Who did he choose to be among his apostles? A tax collector. A bunch of unschooled blue-collar nobodies. Who did he choose to be Israel's greatest king? An adulterous killer. Who did he choose to be the patriarch of Israel? A coward. So it should be no surprise to us whatsoever that the first messenger of Jesus' birth were just a bunch of shepherds. My friends, this should give us incredible hope. God chose the shepherds. God chose the fools. God chose the losers to bring every person on earth to a place where they might say, well, then maybe he'll choose me too. So that there's no one who can say, I I don't measure up. I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the knowledge. I I don't have the genealogy. I I don't have the right background. I, I don't have the right life. I don't have the right gifts. I don't have the right stuff. I don't have the right whatever. There's nobody that can say that because God chose the shepherds first. God chose the shepherds as his messengers because if they were the ones to carry it, no one would be excluded from receiving it. If it's shepherds carrying a message, it's for everybody. There could be no one who could say, but what about me? Am I included? What about little old me? No, when it's the shepherds that come with the gospel, all of us can know for sure God has good news For me, unto us, all of us, including me, a Savior has been given. When we see the shepherds in the nativity scene, let's remember why they are there and what it means for us. And let it be something that inspires us not only to receive this message for ourselves, let it also be something that inspires us to action. To be a messenger, making known the saying concerning this child. God has sent the shepherds. He is also sending me. There's no such thing as a person who he gives the message to that isn't also a person that he's sending the message with. We, we don't just get it for ourselves. He gives it to us to give to others. God chose the shepherds, so that means he's also chosen me. 
He doesn't just choose the qualified. He doesn't just choose the master orators. He doesn't just choose those who are elite and skilled and gifted. He's chosen me and you. Do not leave it to someone else. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that God only sends important elite messengers. He sent shepherds. He's also sending you. This is why we have been plugging for the last several months this this idea of our oikos, the, the 10 to 15 people that are in our immediate circle, whether that's co-workers or friends or family members, people that we interact with on a regular basis, people that we have some kind of voice in their lives. All of us have a circle of people, and in that circle of people are those who do not know the Lord. And we are the shepherds being sent to those people. We are the ones receiving the message from these shepherds so that we can be the shepherds that bring it to our oikos. So, I pray that your Christmas was as incredible as mine was. As joy-filled, as smile-filled, as joyful tear-filled as mine was. And as we come to the end of a very eventful year, I'm praying that God has even better in store for 2022.